Just to give heads up, if you're new to Grace Point, you saw this, hopefully you saw the signs coming in. This is a PG-13 message, not that I will, uh, I'm going to say anything inappropriate, just the topics that we're going to cover directly, uh, I like to give parents with uh, minors just at least a heads up so you can have uh, a better conversation um, if they're in this room. We're, we're in the series, continuing the series called A Church in Crisis, looking at the church at Corinth, but how it parallels to the church in America today. This series um, is not a fun series to teach. So last week we talked about a divided church. Today we're going to talk about a messed up church. It's not a fun series to teach, but it's very, very important. And there's so many parallels to what this church went through and what is going on in our culture today. But let's first of all, let's give a little history lesson on our own city of Bremerton. Bremerton uh, was a know-nothing small little town until 1890 when the, the U.S. Navy came in and set up what was called then the Naval Yard or the Navy Yard, which is now the Puget Sound Naval Shipyard. And then it quickly, as more people moved here and more establishments were started here, Bremerton got a bad reputation quickly it was known as a saloon town, as a saloon town. Uh, bars, booze, and brothels. That's what was happening. I, I, in my research of history of this area, there were uh, companies uh, in uh, Bremerton, before it really became a city, that would work an agreement with some banks that they would have money, cash on hand, so that when the, the people came out of the naval yard, they could cash their check so that they could drink, get drunk, and go sleep with prostitutes. That was, that was, the, that was the environment. In 1902, the Secretary of the Navy, whatever title they had back then, the Secretary of the Navy came to Bremerton and was appalled at what he saw as he saw just from the entrance of the naval yard, there was 10 saloons within the first 100 yards. And all the drunkenness that he experienced, it was so, he was so appalled, he said, to, if you guys don't clean up your act here in Bremerton, we're pulling the Navy out of this area. It was that messed up. That was 1902. In 1904, a circuit-riding pastor uh, rode in to Kitsap County. His name was Anton Lynn, and he saw the decadence. He saw the craziness that was happening, and he said to himself, this county needs a church. And that's how our church was started, 1904. We had different names, multiple names over many years, but that's how we got started. In many ways, uh, Corinth, was much like the old Bremerton, the old saloon town. Corinth was also a port city, and they had constant waves of uh, ships coming in, sailors coming in, travelers coming in, and it was known as a drunken, prostitute-filled town, a lot of, a lot of prostitutes. And it was uh, so depraved that they had, Corinth had their own poem, their own description in that first century. Here's what it said. Not for every man is the voyage to Corinth. I mean, not any guy can go there. Can they handle it? Not, not for every man is the voyage to Corinth. Why? 
because Corinth was one of the first original sex-in-the-city locations in the first century. They had temples all around the city of Corinth, and to their goddess, Aphrodite, Aphrodite, that's what it is, Aphrodite, aphrodisiac, that whole sexual plant thing. And it was the goddess of love, it said. In reality, it was the goddess of lust. And every year they had a festival for their goddess where they would parade around and celebrate their 1,000-member temple prostitute. And all those prostitutes would be paraded around town, and it was crazy. Sexual activity in Corinth was known for all sorts of craziness. Uh, Owners would have sex with their slaves. Teachers would have sex with their students. Um, People would have sex with their friends, their, their neighbors, complete strangers. And it was accepted. It was accepted. That's what Corinth was known. And in this context, a church was started in Corinth. Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, if you would. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Now, we under, we, it's very easy for us to, to read through this, this book and point the fingers at these believers in Corinth and like, man, you guys are embarrassing, you know, and why would you do this and why would you do that? And you've got to understand that in Corinth, when the letter came from Paul, they did not have the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the eyewitness accounts of Jesus and what he did and what he said, hadn't been put together yet. The Bible hadn't been compiled. So the letter comes 20, the Gospels come 20 years after this letter arrives. So what Paul is dealing with is there's zero theological or doctrinal foundation. And all they know is their culture, and all they're doing is living out their culture, and Paul is trying to write them, no, 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 no. This is how we live for Christ. This is how we have self-control. This is how we live in our life, in our love life, uh, in our families. Here's how to honor our bodies and all sorts of things. He's starting from zero. And that's the culture in which he was writing. So join me in chapter 5, verse 1. So Paul writes this in response to what he's heard. He says, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, meaning in the church family, and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. Here it is. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. Most likely that's a step, stepmom, or we would have mentioned mother, but he's sleeping with his father's wife. And you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? For my part, even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit. And as one who is present with you you in this way, I have already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus on the one who has been doing this. So, when you are assembled, when you are gathered, I am with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present. Hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved on that day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Meaning, 
if you don't deal with this, this sin is going to spread all throughout the church, off of the church. Jump down to verse 9. I wrote to you in my letter, that's the, actually the first letter, which, which we don't have. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or greedy or swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother, sister, or believer, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slander or drunkard or swindler. Do not even eat with such people. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. As you can tell, this is messed up. And they didn't even think that it was wrong. They didn't think anything of it. I don't know how they were proud about it, but Paul said you're proud about it. So as we're going through these different crises that a church has, and this is a crisis in our American church, uh, church family, here's the crisis number three for your notes. When believers fail to recognize that they are walking billboards for the name of Christ, the loss of credibility is extremely high. If you are a follower of Jesus and you fail to recognize when you go to work, when you go to school, when you get into that locker room, when you get on that bus, when you get into that office building, when you go visit people in their homes, if you fail to recognize that you, as a follower of Jesus, is a, am a walking billboard, a walking advertisement for the name of Christ, if you fail to realize that, you're going to do things, say things, and be involved in things that will lose credibility for the name of Christ. Credibility of the gospel will be shot. Credibility of the, the, the life-changing aspect of Jesus Christ. People that without Christ are going to look at what they do and how they talk and what they're involved with and the places they go online and the places they go and celebrate things that they celebrate and they see someone who says that they're following Jesus doing the same things, acting the same way, using the same language, it is very easy for them to come to the conclusion the gospel has no power and Jesus is irrelevant. That's, that's the fact. That's why Paul comes so, so strong in this letter to the church at Corinth. Goes on to say, join me in verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 12. He quotes some quotes from Corinth. He says, quote, I have the right to do anything, unquote. You say, Paul adds some commentary, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say, quote, food for the stomach and stomach for the food, and God will destroy them both, unquote. He, he gives commentary. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. What Paul is doing here is taking some cultural idioms, cultural sayings, which what a cultural idiom is, it's a, a cultural saying that actually reveals cultural values. So he's using some Corinthian idioms that they were using to justify their behavior 
and he wanted to teach them and give some clarification. So one of them, one of the idioms was, I have the right to do anything. I can do that. It's legal. It's socially acceptable. I have that right to mess around over here and do that. And, and they're using that as an excuse for their behavior. Second one is food for the stomach and stomach for the food, and God's going to destroy them both. In context, and Paul gives us that context after what that phrase says, was their meaning was, their playing out was, my body was designed for sex, and sex was designed for my body. And at the end, God's going to destroy them both. We have cultural idioms in America. Have you ever heard the phrase, a leopard can't change its spots? That's like an excuse, like, I can't, I, that's who I am. Don't expect me to change, because a, a leopard can't change their spots. That's just who I am. How about this one? I can't help it. I'm Irish. <laughs> or a redhead. Don't expect me to have anger management self-control, because it's genetic. I'm Irish, or I'm a redhead. How about this phrase? Oh, they are just sowing their wild oats. It's a cultural, like, expectation. They're going to, when they're young, they're going to sleep around. They're going to do this. They're going to do that crazy thing. You know, it's expect, expected, socially expected. You know, when they grow up and mature, then those sowing oats days will be done. It's an excuse to do whatever we want to do. Now, I think the number one uh, cultural idiom that we have in America, um, I'm going to start it, and then I'll point to you and see if you can finish it. What happens in Vegas, <laughs> we even have commercials, and that cultural value is do whatever you want in Vegas, no one's going to tell. So just do whatever you want. It's revealing our cultural values that sexual immorality just happens. It's normal. It's acceptable. And Paul is trying to say, no, no, no. God did not design uh, our bodies for that. This is way out of bounds. This is way out of bounds. And when believers fail to recognize that we are walking billboards for the name of Christ and we just do whatever we want to do, do whatever comes natural, do whatever all the guys are doing, all the girls are doing, and we're going to watch that and listen to that and talk like this and go here and go there. We fail to realize that. We are shooting the credibility of Christ and the gospel. We're ruining it. Much, a much bigger thing is at stake it's the name of Christ, especially in the culture which we are living in today. Move over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 15. He's, Paul says, uh, do, not, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with the prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, he's quoting scripture, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee, run from, sprint away from sexual immorality. 
All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Honor God with your bodies. Our sexual choices is a walking billboard. It's an advertisement about the name of Jesus. You having self-control in a culture that has nothing to do with self-control, you are giving good advertisement for the name of Jesus. Is it easy? Heck no. But in the big picture, you'll never regret it. It is worth it. There is an expectation in our American culture that if you say you're a follower of Jesus, that you will act differently. It, again, even in a culture that everything's good, you know, whatever you do, will stay, whatever you do in Vegas stays in Vegas. But there is an expectation that people who do not have Christ, they have an expectation of you and I, of how we're supposed to live. Our sexuality and our sexual choices, it's a walking billboard. We're going to give credibility to the name of Christ and the life-changing power of Jesus or not. Our self-control is a walking billboard. Our body, Paul is very clear, if you're a follower of Jesus, our body doesn't belong to us. It belongs to the Lord. Therefore, honor God with how we use our bodies. Now, there, there, there is a, there's a reason why Paul is coming so hard on this. Is that when it comes to this beautiful gift of sex between a husband and wife that God gives in the context of marriage. When that gift is used outside those bounds, that picture is destroyed. And the picture is not just a husband and wife coming together. God has a picture of Jesus and his church. He's the groom, the church is his bride. That union is a picture. <clears throat> now, if anybody deserved to go into the promised land first, it was Moses. Moses put up with a bunch of crud for two million, of two million people whining and complaining. And let's go back to Egypt. It was just those wonderful years of getting beat up as a slave. You know, let's go back. If anybody deserved... To go into the promised land first, it was Moses. But you don't mess with God's pictures. God told him when they needed water in the desert, strike that rock. And he did with the staff, and water came forth. And the next time, people are complaining again. And out of anger, Moses took his staff and hit the rock when God told him to speak to the rock. Water came out. And God said, Moses, you are not going to go into the promised land. Humanly, that ain't fair. But you don't mess with God's pictures. There's a picture that Jesus would be stricken one time on the cross. And when he stroked the rock, that was a picture of Jesus being killed a second time. And to God, who loves pictures, Moses had consequences. You don't mess with God's pictures. And so it comes with, with any, any sexual sins. God has 
additional consequences that comes as a result because it's a picture. Interesting that chapter 6 ends with this, your body is not your own, it belongs to God. But you remember when the letter was written, you know, Paul didn't write. And let me char- start chapter 7, right? We don't do that with letters. That came much later. But in early chapter 7, Paul's like, okay, let me talk to those of you who are married. And you're living in an out-of-control, out of no-self-control culture. And he says, I want to, he reminds us that if you're married, your body is not your own. It belongs to your spouse, So in order, our bodies belong to God. If you're a follower, if you're married and a follower, it's God, then your spouse, and then we're last. Again, he's painting the picture. And he said, you need to understand, as married people, you have a marital responsibility to give intimacy to your spouse. Because when it doesn't happen, you're opening yourself up to temptation. And then he says, let me talk to the single people. If you're single and you're in a relationship and and you have all kinds of passion in a culture where there's no self-control, he says, you really should read chapter 7. He says, it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Meaning, go ahead and get married. Okay, now if you're 14, that's not what I'm saying today. Okay, talk to your parents first. All right. But he's understanding this culture in Corinth is so out of control sexually. Here's how to combat that as a married couple and as a single individual. But again, when believers fail to recognize that we're walking billboards, we walk into the shipyard with with a billboard about the name of Christ. We get onto that boat, we get into that classroom, we get onto that team, we get onto that bus, we get into that office uh, wherever place you work, whatever home you go to, we are walking advertisement that Jesus has changed our life. Does our story match that truth? If not, we are losing credibility when it comes to immorality. God gives moral guidelines not because he's mean, not because he doesn't want you to have fun. God designed sex to be used only within the confines of marriage. And those guardrails are good for us, and it's good for our testimony. Those guardrails are beneficial for us. It's a benefit to us as individuals, and it's, ben- it's a benefit to our testimony, to our billboard, to our advertisement about Christ. God's not up in heaven, not up in heaven going, how can I screw your life up and make you miserable? I know. I'm going to be anti-sex. God is not anti-sex. God is pro-sex within marriage. God is anti-any other sex outside of it. I mean, the Bible, if you're married, God says, like, go for it. Enjoy it. Have it often. That's God's perspective because he gave that gift. There's another issue this church had. Not only they were wrestling with immorality, they were wrestling with immaturity, immaturity. Go back to chapter 6, verse 1. Gives a different situation. He says, if, if any of you, talking to Christians, have a dispute with another, another Christian, do you dare to take it before the ungodly to, for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, you, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? That's talking about in heaven. How much more 
the things of this life. Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, do you ask for a ruling from those whose way of life is scorned in the church? I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers, but instead one brother or one believer takes another to court, and this is in front of unbelievers? The very fact that you have lawsuits among you uh, means that you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers and sisters. They were taking each other to court. They were taking other believers to court. And Paul says, don't do that. Now, the most misabused, misapplied passage in Scripture is, thou shalt not judge. So that means I can't make any comment you know, I can't, I can't call that. That's, that's out of bounds. Oh, that's in bounds. That's not what it means. It means I don't know anybody's heart. I am not God. I cannot judge the hearts and intentions of anybody, and I should not. That's only God's. But he's making clear in the church, we, we, we can judge, meaning we can make judgment calls. Like, no, 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 no. You are not going to stay in this church if you're going to be sleeping with your, with your father's wife. That was a judgment call. And you say, now, now you're, you're suing each other. You're, you're taking each other to court. Stop that. Is there not anybody in the church that they walk with Jesus that can help you negotiate this dispute? Because he's thinking about a bigger picture that what is this communicating to an unchurched culture? Years ago, we had two friends they were uh, both hunting partners, and they hunted. There's the time we had all kinds of hunting season. Our church attendance dropped like crazy during hunting season in September. And they, these guys were friends, and they decided, hey, let's, let's go into partnership, and we're going to buy a, a messed up house in Kitsap County, and we'll flip it for profit. So that's how they started it. And about three-quarters of the way into one house, I hear from one complaining about the other and says, I, you know, he owes me this or he's not doing his part, you know, and, and I just, I've just got to take him to small claims court and I'm going to sue him. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. I want you to read 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And he comes back to me. He's like, I, I can't sue? I said, what does the word of God say? Oh, yeah. I said, why don't you guys, if you're willing, involve the elders to help you. And they said, okay. Both of them said, okay. So several of our elders on the board at that time met with one of the guys, heard his side of the story and his frustrations. Then they met privately with the other party and heard his frustration, his complaint. Then they came together and said, based upon hearing both perspectives, this is what we think you should do. We think this is a fair way to settle this dispute. Thankfully, they both agreed See, what was bigger, what was more at stake, what was more important was not over money, was not the house. It was the name of Christ. It was the name of Christ was more important to have a testimony. Now, 
there's a key verse I wanted to close in on as we kind of land this plane. It applies to both immorality and immaturity. And it's uh, and found in chapter 6, verse 12 and 13. Paul says this, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Meaning they, they're not believers in Jesus. Why is it? That's not any of my business. Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Now, this is pause right here. Too many people who say they are followers of Jesus make it their business to tell people who don't have Christ all the ways they're doing life wrong. And I man, I can't believe you're doing that. Man, that's going to send you to hell. And, and rah, 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 rah. if they don't know Christ, biblically speaking, they are spiritually blind and spiritually dead. You're yelling at a corpse. One, and you are not the judge. I told, I told my girls all the time when they would be frustrated with someone on their soccer team that doesn't know Jesus, and why does she always do that? And they're making all kinds of judgment calls. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. If they don't know Jesus, you're trying to tell them something that they should respond this way, the way a person who follows Jesus would. I said, girls, it's like getting angry at a blind man for not appreciating the sunset. My teenage girls were like, oh, that's pointless. Yes, if you're taking notes, please write this down. Do I have it next? Yes, it is not our job as Christians to judge those outside of Christ. It's not our job. Now, that doesn't say you don't, if, so, if you are asked, what do you think, you, you, should, you should respond. This is what I believe, and this is what God's word say. Does not say shy away from that. And, and for, for unbelievers, it's not our job to judge those outside the faith. That's what Paul says. Let God, let God deal with that. Let God deal with that. I had, had a young lady a number of years ago approach me with her girlfriend and wanted to talk. I said, sure. And this young lady was not a professing Christian, um, really rejected everything about Christ, but she wanted to tell me about her choice, her path, her lifestyle, and I'm just listening. I'm listening. And then I knew the question was coming, but while I'm listening, I'm also doing what I call flare prayers, you know, cracking and throwing a prayer to heaven. Like, I know a question's coming, Lord, help me to say the right thing in the right tone, because I knew the weight of the question, and it came. It finally came. She turned to me and said, so pastor, what do you think of my choices? Thankfully, God gave me exactly what he wanted me to say. I looked at her, I said, I am not God, and I am not your judge, but I firmly believe in God's word and his original design for relationships and sexuality. And God is a good God who has our best in mind. And my concern is that you going down your path, and it looks attractive now. That's what Satan does. I said, my concern is that path will always lead to a lot of pain and heartache. 
And I really don't want that for you. She paused. I said only what God said, told me to say. But then finally I said, because she was saying, all Christians are judgmental, all churches, and she was just whitewashing all Christianity. I said, now, you asked, did that come across as harsh and judgmental towards you? To my relief, she said, no. And then my surprise was she says, it came across that you care for me. Thank you. My job at that moment was just to plant seeds of truth without being the judge, because I'm not the judge. I didn't write this. And who knows what God will do down the road. Now, when it comes to other Christians, hold on there. Jesus even gave some warnings that if you're going to confront another believer with something wrong in their life, you might want to check the mirror first because you're going to go, let me get this little speck out of their eye. I got a log in my own eye. Take care of the log. Leave their speck alone. But if your heart sees a believer and you have a relationship with them, that's super important, and you see them posting things online, you see them responding, you see them making choices that are not good billboards for the name of Christ. God put their relationship in your life. Hopefully you care enough to say something like this, I care about you and I care about the name of Christ. That's why I'm going to need to bring up something difficult. Why are you doing that? This is not what the Bible says. That takes a, a real strong, mature friend to say, I care about you and the name of Christ. That's why I need to bring this up. I'm concerned for what you're doing or the direction you're going. Again, that's not judging. Like, again, we're not the judge, but we're making basically it's like an umpire. Like, that decision is out of bounds. That relationship is biblically out of bounds. I'm concerned for you. Then let the Lord take it from there. Here's some questions that are wise questions that if we are tempted or leaning to go into maybe a direction or decision or relationship that's kind of maybe iffy, here's some questions to help us process. First question is this. Will this relationship a choice, whatever. Will this lead me towards God or away from him? Will it lead me towards God or away from him? If it's going to lead you away from God, it is not from God. It's from the enemy. Satan does not want us to take steps toward getting closer to God. That's the first thing. Is this, even this situation and all my emotions are going with it, am I doing it and handling it in such a way that will lead me closer to God or away from God? The second question is this, is will this negatively impact others? Meaning my testimony will be negatively impacted. Will other people view Jesus in a negative light? That's, that's helpful to know, should I proceed or not? And the last one that trumps them all is this, will this please the Lord? Will my reaction please the Lord? Will this decision, will this relationship, will this choice please the Lord. And if your heart truly is walking with the Lord and you ask him, the Holy Spirit will let you know. Like, uh, no. 
that's not for me. Then don't go there. I have several regular prayers. I, I pray for my kids, my grandkids, my wife. I pray for this church. I pray for this. But there are several prayers I pray for me. One of them is this. Lord, bless me. David said that, so I, I'm in good grounds. Lord, bless me and bless me indeed. And Lord, help me not to do anything stupid. I use those words. Lord, bless me, bless me indeed, but Lord, help me not to do anything stupid. I am guilty. I, I have every capability of being stupid and following the enemy. And I always evaluate the risk. Will I have to face God and answer for being stupid? Will I have to look in the eyes of my bride and tell her how stupid I was? Will I have to face every one of my daughters and tell them how stupid I was? I understand as a pastor, I have a massive billboard that could be used for God or for destruction of the gospel. I get that. But if you're a follower of Christ, you have a, you have a billboard too. You have a billboard too that you're advertising. I pray, God, bless me, bless me indeed, and help me not to do anything stupid. That's my authentic prayer. So thankfully, Paul writes to this church about doing, they're doing some stupid things that they needed to be aligned with biblical doctrine, biblical truth. It still applies to us today in the culture which you and I are living in. Would you pray with me? God, we ask that you would help us to be very good representation of the gospel and of Jesus. May we re represent him well and that you would be pleased with us. No matter our age, no matter our stage in life, Lord, help us to be walking billboards, walking advertisements that give you glory. And do not in any way put the gospel in Jesus in a position of lack of credibility. May we be different. May we act different, talk different, make different decisions that make you proud. We pray all this in the name of Jesus, we say, amen.